You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Jim Beatty still believes that love conquers all, but his faith was challenged when dealing with Pee Wee Gaskins and his attitudes about race. 25 years prior before they met, the U.S. Supreme Court outlawed school racial segregation in the landmark case Brown v. the Board of Education. 15 years prior, the U.S. Congress passed the Civil Rights Act, banning discrimination on the basis of race color, religion, sex, or national origin. But change was slow in many parts of the country, including South Carolina. And some people, like Pee Wee Gaskins, would never change. Most people we spoke to were polite about his views on race. But there was no mistaking it. Pee Wee Gaskins was a racist. The details of some of the murders were particularly cold and cruel. He killed Doreen and her baby because the father of the baby was a black man. I know of three victims who were black or mixed race. I think we have to be taught to hate. I really, really do. From iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures, this is Pee Wee Gaskins Was Not My Friend. I'm Jeff Keating. I'm sure his environment, and certainly his brutal uncles, would have taught him to think what he thought about black people, and he learned it well. I think we have to be taught to hate. I really, really do. If someone is taught hate and lives in an environment where racist attitudes often prevail, that's a dangerous combination. Margaret O'Shea covered the Gaskin story for the South Carolina newspaper, The State. Here she is talking about that environment. A lot of what I know I can infer about South Carolina and about rural South Carolina in particular at the time that he was living in Florence County. It was an area where the Klan was and may still be active, although greatly diminished. You don't read or hear much about the Ku Klux Klan anymore, but the Southern Poverty Law Center knows that they do exist in South Carolina. Jennifer Hawes is a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter at the Post and Courier newspaper in South Carolina and author of the award-winning book, Grace Will Lead Us Home, about the 2015 Emanuel Church shooting in Charleston. Here she speaks about the climate in South Carolina 
during the 1970s. A couple years ago, we published a series called Minimally Adequate that looked at South Carolina's education system. And my piece of that series was looking at the history of the state and why we have these racial disparities today and how history plays forward into that. And it was really interesting to me to find out that most of the school districts in South Carolina did not desegregate till 1970. Public segregated schools were declared unconstitutional in 1954's Brown versus Board of Education Supreme Court ruling, but they still existed in South Carolina until 1970. White residents in many communities created segregation academies, which were private schools for white students. And many of those academies still exist. They might have different names and they're not sold as segregation academies, obviously. But you wind up with a system where you have predominantly African-American public schools and virtually all white private schools. And that system still exists. Jim Crow laws enacted throughout the South gave legal cover for public and private racial separation. These laws were the contemporary evolution of 400 years of ensconcing white supremacy into law. White water fountains and colored water fountains, white-only restaurants, segregated schools. This was the norm throughout the South and other parts of the country. Slightly different circumstances led to vastly different people. Pee-wee was a racist, mostly a product of the Jim Crow South and his specific family environment. And this led to violent racial acts. He killed a woman for having a biracial child and being pregnant with another. He dumped a black woman's murdered body in an open field because she didn't warrant even the semblance of graves he gave his other victims. And he murdered a man in prison in part because he thought the justice system was too slow to execute black men on death row. These are difficult stories to tell and difficult stories to hear, but they are true and they had lasting effect on the victims' families and on the babies. You know, the crime itself, in my mind anyway, is not the story. The story is the effect it has on everybody who's living. We're talking about a crime in which people were killed. So the issue is what happens after? What happened to uh, these two men's relationship? But also, in my case, what happened to the family members, the survivors, the people who survived domestic violence? The story is the effect, not the crime itself. Many journalists who covered this story Cecil Chandler, Holly Gatling, Margaret O'Shea, and others understand exactly what Jennifer means. Jim Beatty knew this too, but it would prove more difficult for him because he wasn't just covering the story. He was living it as he interviewed Pee Wee Gaskins regularly over a two-year period. And some of the stories were brutal. I think Pee Wee was taught to hate, and it certainly came out in his behavior toward Doreen Dempsey and her baby. Jim is referring to Doreen Dempsey, who, along with her two-year-old daughter Robin, were found murdered in 1975. Martha Ann Dix, also known as Clyde, was someone else Pee Wee thought deserved to die. Here's Tom Fowler from WIS-TV reporting on April 29, 1977. The SLED official he mentions in his report is Ira Parnell. Ira was working nearby with his father, Sumter County Sheriff Bird Parnell. Pee-wee Gaskins told authorities it would find a body in the creek near this pine tree. SLED and Sumter County Sheriff's investigators began looking in the creek this morning, but they didn't find a body in the creek. On the bank, though, 100 feet away, they found skeletal remains. Gaskin said it was a black woman, 20 years old, called Clyde. Gaskin said he killed her with a poison soft drink. I found her skull back up a dirt road. He just thrown her off the side of the road. Didn't bury her at all. In fact, I looked down and I saw what I thought was a rock. It had some inmates from the uh, county gang 
clear and brush was kind of opening up things so he could do a little bit of work. And I looked down and there was a skull laying there. And that was Clyde, the one that he just threw out by the road. According to a May 4, 1977 article in the state newspaper, written by Jerry Adams and Kathy Edwards, Martha Ann Dix had been playing cards and laughing with her family on the porch of their Brand Street home in Sumter, South Carolina. The 5'4", 155-pound African-American woman was dressed as she often was in men's clothing, an oversized button-down shirt, slacks, and a large belt buckle. She left in the early afternoon, headed to the 362 Club on Manning Avenue. It was March 29, 1972, and she was never seen again. Her sister told reporters that Anne's friends called her Clyde, and that she was a lesbian who occasionally slept with men. She would sometimes slip away to visit out-of-state friends, but she would always call and stay in touch with her family. After several days without hearing from her, her mother called police to report her missing, but police would later say they had no record of the call, and so they did not investigate. Pee Wee Gaskins was occasionally willing to disclose the location of a murder victim's body when he could get something in return. With Clyde, Pee-wee tried to cut a deal by revealing the location of her remains. He directed Sheriff Bird Parnell's deputies to the Concord area of eastern Sumter County. The search came up empty, so the deal was off. Two months later, while testifying in a trial unrelated to the murders of those eight victims found in the field, Gaskin shocked the courtroom and his very own attorneys by announcing under oath and without prompting that he had murdered Clyde Dix and dumped her body in a ditch. Two days later, SLED investigator Ira Parnell found the skull about 30 feet from where Gaskin said he dumped her. Pee Wee Gaskins would officially confess to killing Martha Ann Dix. He slipped poison into her soda drink. Although there are a few stories about his motives, the most widely reported was that he wanted revenge because Clyde was allegedly the one who supplied drugs to his niece, Janice Kirby. Another motive was that Clyde had told some people she was pregnant with his child, and he was outraged at the rumor. She became one of his victims. I understand that Pee-wee has told other people, well, she was black and I don't mix in with that. That's not why I killed her, though. I killed her because she lied about me. But then he followed that statement with a racist statement saying she told people that she was pregnant with my child. And I tell you one thing, I ain't never done that with no black person. Pee-wee Gaskins murdered Martha Ann Dix. There was no urgent police search when she disappeared, no urgent search to find her body, and there was no burial. She was just a poor, young black lesbian whose body was tossed in a ditch. I know of three victims, four if you count an unborn child, who were black or mixed race. The details of some of the murders were particularly cold and cruel. In the case of Clyde, one of the things that was done to her was he gave her acid in a Coca-Cola, and then he poured acid on her. And that seemed a horrible way to go. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. 
With our flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Charles McDew was a social activist and former chairperson of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. In 1958, he was in his first year at South Carolina State College, now university, on Thanksgiving break with friends. So we went to Sumter, and as we were driving home, the cops pulled us over. No big deal. I didn't do anything. So the cop pulls over, asked for my license and registration stuff, gave him that. And we're talking. And the cop said, where are you from, boy? I said, you got the license. Can't you read? And he hit me. Mind you, this was before the uh, nonviolent civil rights struggle. And I came from a tough steel town and if somebody put their hand in your face you return the favor in kind so when the cop hit me i hit him and uh, before he hit the ground i was kicking him and stomping him about the head neck and shoulders his partner jumped into the fray so it's these two cops and me fighting And the cops beat me bloody, broke my arm, busted my jaw. After the cops beat me, I was arrested for the first time in my life and charged with disturbing the peace and disobeying an officer. They took me to the hospital and got me patched up. And then I went to get on the train to go back to the school. When I went to get on the train, the uh, conductor said, all right, get on back to the baggage car. And uh, says, I, you know, what is this baggage car nonsense? And it seems that on every train in the South, there was one car on the train for black people. Uh, the car right behind the engines where the certain dust would come through. 
And when that was filled, you'd sit in the baggage car. I said, no, 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 sport, not for my little $10.50 do I ride with suitcases and mangy dogs. And there are plenty of seats right here, and I'm having one of them, and sat down and was rearrested for sitting in the white car and violating the laws of segregation. And once again, I'm back in jail, six hours after I'm out of jail. And um, that's where it all began, that afternoon in Sumter, South Carolina. That Thanksgiving weekend set Charles McDew up for his years as an activist. He led the SNCC immediately after college, in the years just before Representative John Lewis of Georgia. Charles's early life was shaped in a steel town in Ohio, where he learned to stand up for himself and persevere. Virtues he would need to fortify after his painful introduction to black life on the south side of the Mason-Dixon line. That experience set Charles on a mission to elevate the stature of black lives in America, particularly in the Jim Crow South. And this was the same Jim Crow South that formed Pee Wee Gaskins and contributed to his racism. That was a tough topic for Jim Beatty. Well, my initial feeling is repulsion, and I resented it very, very much, even though it was Pee Wee Gaskins. I could not uh, bear to, to sense any time there was any mention of an African-American person that there was uh, hatred. I could not abide that. But then I moved to why, how? He and, he, Pee-wee and I were almost the same age. He was a couple years older. We lived 80 miles apart in the state of South Carolina. Why would he think, as he does, and I think the way I do, and it caused me to re- recall when I was eight Racial tensions were high throughout the 20th century, and that included South Carolina. In 1967, a mysterious fire burned down an all-black high school in Greenville on homecoming night. No officials ever named cause, suspects, or motivation. It was one of the dozens of unsolved arsons in the state. The Orangeburg Massacre of 1968 exposed passions in a society with severe asymmetries of power and standards. The owner of a bowling alley in Orangeburg, South Carolina, refused to integrate his business. After a month of talks with local officials and black leaders, the owner persisted that he was not going to allow the black students to bowl. On February 5, 1968, a group of students from South Carolina State entered the bowling alley in a nonviolent request for service. The students left peacefully after they were asked to leave. More students arrived the next day and were met by an all-white police force. Daily protests continued and tensions escalated until the night of February 8, 1968. Students started a bonfire at the front of the campus as a means of carrying on their 24-hour protest vigil. As police and firemen attempted to put out that fire, someone threw something large and it struck a patrolman. Highway patrol officers began firing into the crowd of around 200 protesters. 27 people were injured and three were killed. A formative event for the whole of South Carolina. Here again is Executive Director of the Department of Juvenile Justice, Freddie Pugh. I learned of the Orangeburg Massacre during freshman orientation at South Carolina State. It is a huge topic in Orangeburg. All freshmen who go through freshman orientation are taught about it. And if you're a bulldog, you're very familiar with the Orangeburg Massacre. Sadly enough, that stain on South Carolina's history is kind of brought to the forefront for every incoming class at South Carolina State. I wanted to physically go see that bowl and know that these students were, were shot and killed simply because these folks wanted to bowl. 
Charles McDew became painfully aware of institutionalized racism on his first day in the South. It wasn't nebulous. It wasn't merely a way of thinking. Jim Crow was the manifestation of ordinances and policies set to perpetuate white supremacy by systematically disenfranchising blacks. But Charles did not grow up in the South. Fortunately, he was a resilient man and he had plenty of fortitude. The brutal encounter with the police did not diminish his resolve. After he was discharged from the hospital, he attempted to catch a train back to school. As it turned out, he too would have another encounter, in none other than Orangeburg, South Carolina. It was there that his education into the Southern rule of law resumed. Got back to Orangeburg, and there's a garden in Orangeburg called Eddystow. But it was between the train station and the campus, and I was hurting from the beating. So I took a shortcut to get back to the campus and was arrested because it was against the law for black people to be in a public park, except on one day during the week, and that was one of the days. So I'd been arrested for the third time in two days. I learned very quickly how much was off limits. If something said open to the public, it meant it was closed to black people and you would be arrested if you would go there. Orangeburg is 90 minutes west of Sumter. Pee-wee openly expressed his discontent with the shifts in race relations, especially sexual relations between races. There were all kinds of ridiculous laws I learned about at, around that time, like it was against the law to look at a white woman, to look a white woman in her face, It was a form of assault. The last states officially to legalize interracial marriage were South Carolina in November 1998 and Alabama in 2000. They amended their constitutions to repeal clauses banning marriage of a white person with a person of color a full 30 years after the U.S. Supreme Court case, Loving v. Virginia, in 1967. Here's Philip Hirchkopp. He was attorney for plaintiffs Richard and Mildred Loving, a white man and African-American woman, in their lawsuit against the state of Virginia. You have before you today what we consider the most odious of the segregation laws and the slavery laws. And our view of this law, and we hope to clearly show, is that this is slavery law. Unable to wed in their home state of Virginia, the couple married in Washington, D.C. When they returned home, they were arrested. Police cited Virginia's anti-miscegenation law, known as the Racial Integrity Act of 1924. Counselor R.D. McElwain III argued for the state. The attitude which society has toward interracial marriages, which in detailing his opposition, says causes a child to have almost insuperable difficulties in identification, and that the problems which the child of an interracial marriage faces are those which no child can come through without damage to himself. It is not infrequent that the children of intermarried parents are referred to not merely as the children of intermarried parents, but as the victims of intermarried parents and as the martyrs of intermarried parents. These are direct quotes from the... The state of Virginia argued in court that separate was good and in everyone's best interests, declaring that children of interracial unions would suffer discrimination in comparison to children with parents of the same race. South Carolina had similar language in its constitution in order to uphold anti-miscegenation as a moral good. Peewee individually represented the lost causes behind these state laws. And all this systemic racism would manifest when Pee-wee decided he would be lynch mob for the law when he drowned Doreen Dempsey, a 19-year-old pregnant mother, and her two-year-old biracial child, Michelle Robin. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. 
With our flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Pee-wee Gaskins killed a pregnant mother, Doreen Dempsey, and her child in racially motivated murders. To understand Doreen's story, we start with her sister, Barb Snyder. Barb was 31 and on her way to get a tattoo when she learned that the man she called Dad was actually her uncle who had adopted her when Barb was a toddler. I have an amended birth certificate, which shows I'm born in South Carolina. My original, I have no idea. I've never seen it. I was shocked by all of this because I grew up not knowing I was adopted. Barb's husband, Chris Snyder, maintains a blog they started to catalog Barb's family tree. As it came into focus over the years, they've spent researching. Barb isn't confident that she could put her story into words the way he can. She's a bit shy and asks that Chris tell most of her story. She grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, and got a call out of the blue one day from a woman claiming to be her sister. Joy is the one that contacted Barb and said, look, I'm your sister. You've been adopted. So Joy was the first sibling that Barb met. Barb was overwhelmed. Her adopted mother had died by the time Joy called, so Barb went to the man she called dad her whole life. He ended up admitting under pressure that she and her brother John had been adopted as infants. They swore then that they would never tell the children about their birth parents. All the aunts and uncles went along with the story. Their adopted dad had to admit as well that their biological dad was the guy they had known as Uncle Jim, who had not been seen for decades. He also knew her birth mother, Vivian, and how to get in touch with her. Vivian and Jim had five children, including Barb, John, and Joy. She had four other children with three different men. Jim, Barb's biological father, left Pennsylvania 30 years prior, 
to join his father with the Amusements of America Carnival in Sumter, South Carolina. Vivian joined him on the road, and they had an on-again, off-again relationship. Here's Chris Snyder talking about Vivian. She danced in Cleveland, and I'm sure she danced in places in Pennsylvania, depending on what the carnival was doing at the time. She not only danced with the carnival, she would do burlesque in the 40s and 50s, but it was a subculture there, and it was different. It was kind of seedy. Part of the carnival was rides and, and games and things like that. And I figure that this is the part of the carnival that they were in, you know, like a strip club almost on wheels. This isn't a glamorous life, traveling with a carnival and stripping. I and mean, this is just what they're doing to make some money. Vivian's father-in-law made the costumes she wore on stage. He was the carnival barker, step right up kind of stuff. Auntie was a clown. Jim was the ticket taker. Vivian had danced her way up and down the East Coast. Along the way, she had nine children with four different men. Barb was Vivian's fourth child. We stayed in Sumter at the motel there. That's where Vivian took me after I was born. That's where the Kearney circuit stayed for the winter months. My grandfather used to manage the motel. They put me in a drawer. I guess that's where I slept for the first two and a half months of my life. When they would go on the road, she would leave some of the kids with neighbors or whoever, and in some cases they were turned over to the the state, you know, as abandoned children. Uh, Sometimes they went into foster care for a while. Vivian's sister and husband raised Barb as their own. Soon after learning of her adoption, Barb ended up getting in touch with Vivian and went to meet her in 1994. Chris wrote on the family blog, that it wasn't exactly a Hallmark Channel reunion. Vivian wasn't completely open with the details, but she did agree to visit with Barb and her family for Christmas that year. Well, it started making things make sense. You know, when you look back at your childhood and you look back at things and you go, oh... Okay, that makes a little more sense now. And then you look at pictures and you realize, wow, she should have been huge. The pregnancy belly. Nothing. You never questioned it as a kid. Barb discovered that she was adopted back in 94 and started searching for her siblings, which ended up taking quite a few years to locate everybody. Joy knew where some of their siblings were and helped Barb track down the others. Barb ended up getting connected to all of her siblings, except the oldest, Doreen. One observation that I can give you is that Vivian lived her life that she was always the victim. Um, None of this stuff was her fault. She would blame the different men that she was with, and, and none of it was her responsibility. Joy grew up with Vivian in Pennsylvania and remembered her oldest half-sister would come and visit them sometimes in the summer. Doreen had come from South Carolina up to Reading to visit and uh, spent some time there, must have spent part of a summer there. And the one thing that Joy remembers is that her sister, her big sister, brought her a puppy. So it was kind of a heartbreaking part of that whole story. Doreen grew up for a while with Vivian near Sumter, but was adopted by the Dempsey family at a young age. She was around the carnival early and often. The Sumter newspaper reported that Doreen Dempsey spent a year in the Episcopal Church Home for Children when she was 13. She had some contact with her birth mother and met Pee Wee Gaskins through Vivian. They all were around the carnival. She finished ninth grade at McLaurin Junior High School and was expected to enroll in the local high school in 1969. Instead, on the first day of 10th grade, Doreen was married and expected to get a job. Her husband abandoned her three weeks later when he joined the Army 
unannounced. She joined the Jobs Corps and was moved to Tongue Point Training Center in Oregon. She left there after four months and returned to Amusements of America, where her father worked. It wasn't long after getting a carnival job that she met Pee Wee Gaskins. They became friends, and she moved into Pee Wee Gaskins' home for several months. His heating and air conditioning job kept him away from home while he traveled the state, so eventually Doreen got bored and moved out. After Doreen left, Gaskins met and married Sandy Snell, and she was soon pregnant with their child. Doreen reappeared, also pregnant by a different man, and the two pregnant women, Doreen and Sandy, lived with Pee Wee Gaskins until his son was born. Doreen would relocate to a home for unwed mothers in Charleston to deliver her own baby. Here's Anita Beatty talking about Doreen's move to a home for unwed mothers late in her pregnancy. The building still exists. It's a hospital. It is a hospital. Not a school. But it was part of the Florence Crittenden Homes for Unwed Mothers that was started for women from families who couldn't have their babies because they were shaming to their families and had to go somewhere to have babies. But there was a huge, huge furor about them because they became sort of known as adoption mills. Doreen wanted Michelle Robin to be her baby. It didn't come into the story whether she was pressured to give her up. But she had no intention of doing that from what Jim knows and what Pee Wee found out. Pee Wee and Sandy went to visit Doreen in the hospital after she delivered the baby she named Michelle Robin Dempsey. She called her Robin. When Pee-wee saw the biracial baby, all of his racial hatred emerged. He was furious. He had helped her mother. He had helped her. Given them gifts. Given her a home while she was pregnant. He told his attorney that he felt betrayed. When Doreen left the home for unwed mothers, she was not welcome back at Pee-wee's house. He sent her to live with Sandy's brother for a while. She leaves that house and moves in with Carl Sellers. He was part of the car theft ring and had recently gotten out of prison. And Pee Wee testified that people thought Doreen and Carl should be together. And that's the way it was, apparently, for a while. Carl Sellers, how he escaped Pee Wee's wrath, I'll never know. But Pee Wee never bothered him, did time, served some time in jail. But he was really kind of an untouchable. He just escaped everything and everybody. The fatal die was cast when Carl learned that Doreen was pregnant again. Carl was livid, so he and his brother, Johnny Sellers, packed up Doreen, Robin, and their luggage in a car full of stolen televisions and drove up to see Pee Wee unannounced. She was pregnant again by the same father. It's a fair statement to say that Pee Wee despised that action and activity in Doreen's life. I think he loved her at times, but he hated that behavior. Doreen and the baby were taken to Pee Wee's compound there in Prospect by the Sellers brothers. Johnny Sellers had taken them in, and he couldn't stand it anymore. So they simply loaded him up with the, in the station wagon. They simply put her in the car, took her to Pee Wee. Pee Wee didn't even know they were coming there. The Sellers brothers brought Doreen Dempsey and Robin Dempsey to Pee Wee, not to kill her, because Johnny had let her, them, stay with him. He had no idea that what he was doing was bringing her and, and the baby to their deaths. According to a deposition, Pee-wee told investigators, quote, I told them I couldn't take care of her, and one thing led to another. So me and Doreen walked around the house. I was going to talk to her, and she was about seven months pregnant at the time again. And so I asked her who the daddy of the kid was that she was carrying at the time, and it was a black kid, end quote. Pee-wee drowned Doreen in the pond behind his trailer. He left her there, returned to the front of the house, 
took Robin from the Sellers brothers and told them to get going. He took her around the house and drowned the two-year-old beside her mother. He testified that he put the bodies in his hearse for a short drive. He put them into the ground as he had the rest of the victims in the field, simply covered them with cutaway branches, leaves and such. It was near the creek that runs by the field. They were found wrapped in plastic. Solicitor Ken Summerford asked Peewee, quote, Are you telling me that the only reason that you killed Doreen and this baby was because they didn't have a place to stay? End quote. Gaskins replied, No, no, no. Summerford asked, Well, why'd you kill Doreen and the baby? Gaskins replied, quote, Well, Doreen thought more of that n- than she did a white man. End quote. He killed Doreen and her baby because the father of the baby was a black man. In hearings with Solicitor Summerford, he did say, in fact, he said clearly how he killed them. And Summerford would get mixed up and didn't know if they were killed with a knife or with a gun or with a rifle. And he had to say, no, they were drowned. They both were drowned. He told Jesse, Sandy, Carl, and Johnny that he had put Doreen and Robin on a train to Pennsylvania. Her father, Jim, called Carl's house soon after looking for Doreen, and Carl told him the same story. He never checked on her again. Pee-wee later reported that he killed the toddler because she wouldn't have any kind of real life growing up as an orphaned biracial baby. The beautiful little girl, beautiful skin, all of it. I can't read it or hear it without being completely done in. I come as close to hating Pee-wee in that story, and I do hate him. How could he talk that way about that baby, that angel, that angel? The baby Robin Dempsey, Michelle Robin Dempsey, I love her name. A beautiful baby daughter of Doreen Dempsey drowned by the hands of the very same man that I saw shake. As heavy as these deaths weighed on the babies, it was equally painful for Chris and Barb Snyder to learn this part of their story. I think it was 2002 that finally put the facts together to find out that Doreen had been killed. Some of the siblings got together. We went out to dinner. This was the first time this group of kids had ever been together. And they're siblings. And they had never been together like this. And of course, Doreen's gone, so they all nine can never get together. Barb and I came to this realization. Robin would turn 50 years old this year. That's hard for us to think about because we've been looking at these pictures of this toddler and Robin actually is older than two of her uncles. I got to the point where I really felt that we needed to find out where Doreen was buried and there was no information about that anywhere and I decided to start reading all of the old articles and that's where I came up with Holly Gatling's name. There were a couple articles actually written about Doreen like this is the person You know, this is what she was like. And I decided to reach out to Holly because she was the only one that I could still find. It's interesting. I sometimes think this story is behind me. And then I got an email from the husband of Doreen Dempsey's half-sister. They are looking for the remains. Where is Doreen's body and the baby? They can't find a grave. They can't find a paper trail for where the remains may be. You know, were they cremated? Are they in a funeral home somewhere? She responded and was very helpful. Put me in touch with the acting sheriff, who I guess had worked the case at the time. 
he put me in touch with the acting coroner, who was very helpful and called me back, but went through all of his files and couldn't find any mention of what happened to the remains after the trial and suggested that I get with the public records department. So that's kind of how we got to where we are today. It seems to me particularly cruel to kill a baby and to do that just because the child was of mixed race is just reprehensible to me. That child was drowned along with her mother solely for that reason, as best we know. That bothered me a great deal. Huey Gaskins was not my friend is a joint production from iHeartRadio and Doghouse Pictures. Produced and hosted by Jeff Keating. Executive producers are Courtney DeFries and Noel Brown. Written by Jim Roberts, Courtney DeFries, and Terry James. Edit, mix, and sound design by Jeremiah Kulani Prescott. Music composed by Diamond Street Productions, Spencer Garn, and Ian Newberry. Special thanks to Jim and Anita Beatty. Additional thanks to the University of South Carolina Moving Image Research Collections and the University of South Carolina. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.